Welcome to Three Ain't a Crowd, the podcast all about creativity, mental health, social change and how they interact. My name is Van de Canton and I'm an artist, facilitator and researcher. Each week I'll be talking to people using creative and artistic ways to change the way we think. If I was to cite women that inspire me, Dawn is definitely up there. A mate of mine had been telling me to go along to something called She Recovers and their online groups. And to be honest, I put it off for a good couple of months until that same friend was facilitating one of the sessions. So I ended up going along to support her. I remember leaving the meeting and thinking, whoa, this is a game changer She Recovers is an incredibly empowering and validating space founded by Dawn and alongside her daughter, Taryn. Although its origins are in the US and Canada, there are groups in the UK, France, Australia, and thanks to Zoom, the She Recovers community continues to grow internationally. Watch this space because Italy might be soon. Their motto is, we are all recovering from something. She Recovers is a foundation which supports women in recovery from a variety of difficulties, including, but not limited to, substance use disorder, codependency, trauma, eating disorders and mental health difficulties. Before we start, I just wanted to give a heartfelt shout out to the She Recovers community and the amazing women there who have been incredibly supportive of me and each other, accepting people in all of their shades and moods. Dawn, welcome to Three in a Crowd. How are you doing? Oh, good morning, Vonda. You made me want to cry. How beautiful. I just... um... (laughs) You know, I remember you when you first started joining us on our on our Zoom calls and there was just there's just as I'm sure you've been told before, there's just something about your energy. Uh, so you you brought so much to those initial, you know, these those are early days of the pandemic when we all started kind of getting on there. So it's just a delight to be here with you. Just it was a delight to, to join She Recovered. I mean, I think that as a mental health practitioner, I find it quite nerve-wracking and a very different atmosphere for me to go as a participant and yet when I went to She Recovers I just felt so accepted and just so able to be myself in all of my elements whether I wanted to be silly whether I was in a bad mood whether I was depressed whatever was going on and I think that that is something that I really haven't come across as often I think but why do you think that is why is it such a supportive environment I think, it, excuse me, I think it has a lot to do with um, our intentions and guiding principles that, you know, we talk about all of the time and we introduce just this concept that we are all in recovery from something. And when, you know, so there's we, there's the we, so we're going to be doing it together and we are all, that means nobody's immune to struggles and difficulties. So there's, if I've got a thing and you've got a thing, or I've got 10 things more likely, and you've got 10 things, it's like the, we're going to help eradicate the stigma around that if we all just accept that, hey, everybody's, excuse my language, everybody's got some shit. Mm. And so it's okay, just bring it. And, you know, along with that, you know, we are very much about, regardless of what it is that your challenge is or that you're struggling with, or that you've, that you're celebrating having recovered from, um, regardless of where you're at on the spectrum of getting help or being in the process of healing, that's okay too. Like there's just no judgment. You might be there because, you're in a repetitively unhealthy relationship. Nobody's going to say, just leave them. You know, we're going to say, we hear you. What can you do to take care of yourself? Mm. We accept you where you're at. Um, You know, in in our minds, we're saying, oh my God, just leave them. (laughs) Right. But we're going to accept you where you're at in your process and then just try and um, witness and support you 
processing what you need to do and when you need to do it. Because we all know that we don't change till we're ready to change, right? We did a mental health Monday session yesterday on She Recovers. We do them every Monday. And one of our coaches and therapists, Kathy Robbins, actually talked about the stages of change and how, you know, we are where we are and uh, we just need to meet ourselves there and meet each other there and not have anybody else's agenda. So with regard to substance use, for instance, there's no expectation that people are coming in there and that they are sober or free from having used drugs. We don't want them to share if they're using that particular day, but there's no judgment if people are coming back and starting over. If somebody is in an eating disorder and they're in full-blown eating disorder mode, of course, we're going to have love and concern for them, but we're not going to judge them and tell them that, you know, you need to come back when you get your shit together. Um, So I just think that we create this by all the shares and by women witnessing women share where they're at and seeing the reaction is love and support and encouragement. Um, Eventually, they feel comfortable enough to step into the space and say where they're at too. That coupled with we have so many women who are in long-term recovery from all the things and who are there who share their struggles as well on a regular basis, but also are able to share, you know, what it's like to have conquered or to have really um, healed from some of the things that so many of the women are coming from. So I think that that's kind of the secret sauce is just acceptance and meeting people where they're at and just the diversity of issues that people bring to the forum. Hmm. I think you, you touch on a really powerful point though, which is about celebration. And I think that's something that I found very unique to She Recovers is that I don't always go to the group because I need to get shit off my chest. Sometimes I come along because there's just wicked women that I want to see and I just want to hear other people. And it's the really, for anyone that hasn't been to a a group before, there's this idea of holding space. So you can go along and just be there to listen to other people. And She Recovers is particularly... um, what's the right word, skilled in doing that, I suppose. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how it works? So, you know, you have the She Recovers coaches who are the facilitators, and then there's also different things that happen on different days. I'm really interested to hear about that a bit more. Sure. When we when the, when the pandemic hit, we were not doing anything online. Our, our organization was all about, um, well, we had Facebook. So we had a Facebook group called She Recovers Together, and it had maybe a couple of thousand, 2,000 women in it. Um, and we have our Facebook page, the public page, which has, you know, between 200, about a quarter of a million people, 270,000 people following at any given time. Wow. But most of our, um, our events were, were in person. So we, we hosted a, a 500 women recovery conference, a celebration of recovery from all the things. We did one in New York City in 2017, one in Los Angeles at the Beverly Hilton in 2018. And we had one planned at the Biltmore in Miami for May, this past May. And we did retreats, you know, eight to 10 retreats a year here on the West Coast of Canada, where I live. We've done them in Bali. We do the four in Mexico every year. Um, Various other places in the United States were planned, including Maine and um, Sedona. We were in early this year looking at Southern Italy and Southern France for 2021. And so that was really kind of our we were very well known for these in-person events. And so when the pandemic hit, other than we knew quite quickly that we weren't going to be gathering 500 women at the Biltmore in May, um, Taryn, my daughter actually, um, who had been doing some online gatherings with her yoga group, she does trauma-informed yoga online. She has a membership. And so once a month she would do a new moon or a full moon 
gathering. And she said, you know, why don't I just take the idea that I've been doing once a month and why don't we just do a couple, like one or two a week with women in our community on Zoom to support them through this pandemic? Well, literally, um, we decided we would do that. And we reached out to our coaches. We have She Recovers coaches who are, they're either coaches or therapists. Uh, some of them work specifically in recovery coaching for substance use. Others are eating disorder recovery coaches. Others are therapists, but they do something called the She Recovers Coach designation, which just really brings them into alignment with our 10 intentions and guiding principles. And then they are considered She Recovers coaches. And we have about 100 graduates and another 50 in training right now. We reached out to our group of 100 and just said, hey, listen, we're thinking about doing this online thing and we just need one or two people to volunteer per week, which might be like six to eight a month. We got such a response from so many coaches wanting to do it. Literally within a few days, we made the decision that we would host two gatherings per day, not per week. Mm. And we started doing that. And so we've been hosting at least two a day since um, the middle of March. We also, um, with that, Taryn started doing a free online yoga class on Wednesdays in our morning slot. And Peyton, um, one of our amazing She Recovers leadership team, started um, doing She Recovers Dance, a healing movement modality on Fridays. We started um, a support group specifically for She Recovers, uh, called She Recovers Support for Healthcare and Allied Professionals. And they also host a, a meeting specifically for healthcare and allied professionals Saturday mornings. And on Saturday afternoons, just starting this past week, we launched our She Recovers support for Black, Indigenous, and women of color group. So there's a Facebook group for them, as well as a Zoom meeting once a week on Saturday afternoons at one o'clock Pacific. So it's just kind of been unfolding. You know, the next, next up for us is we're going to be developing a support group with an associated Zoom gathering for veterans, for women veterans. Mm. Uh, and yeah, we're just going to kind of keep going. Whoa. I know. So much stuff. I mean, it, it's wicked as well because there's there really is something for everyone. And, you know, the options that are available to women, I think really is important. Uh, and one of the things I wanted to, well, actually, there's so many things. I've got a million questions in my mind. Let's start with two questions. No, let's start with one. So... Your daughter, Taryn, is uh, very much a part of She Recovers and, you know, you work together to create this platform um, and continue to work together. But that, again, is, is quite rare, I think, to come across a mother-daughter dynamic in that kind of context. And I'm really interested to hear about how that happened and also why is that so important for you and, and what what difference does it bring to the way that She Recovers runs? Yeah, I don't know too many other um, mother-daughter groups kind of who are involved in a recovery um, kind of oriented project such as ours. There are other mother-daughter mother-daughter teams, I suppose, who I've seen in the wellness sphere. Um, mm. But basically what happened was at around the same time as I was going online, I started a blog in June or sorry, February 2011. I was blogging about my workaholism at the time. I'd been in recovery from substance use disorder and, and domestic violence for many, many years by then, but was really exploring a new kind of, um, a new thing that had popped up for me, which was workaholism. It hadn't just popped up. It was, it was a new awareness of mine that I was overworking. And while I was doing that, Taryn was, um, she'd been a yoga teacher for four years by that time. And she was starting to think about the women that she really wanted to help. So when I was kind of 
starting to blog, I started to think about how, you know, my, my work was as a policy analyst and a research director in the areas of mental health addictions and substance, um, sorry, and intimate partner violence. So that was my professional life. But I really wanted to somehow merge or bring in my personal life, my own personal recovery stories. So I started, I had this idea of like creating this space for women uh, who were in recovery from not just substance use disorder or domestic violence or codependency, but also all of the things, as we say. And um, so uh, while I was off on work, my workaholism little break, um, I started blogging. And then when I went back to work four months later, Taryn suggested that rather than blog every day, which was time consuming and not going to help with my trying to be balanced in my life, she suggested that I start a, a fan page. And my blog had been called Recovering Dawn. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to call it something. I'll, I'll do that. And I'll call it She Recovers. And I had no idea what Facebook even was. So Taryn had to help me set it up. So we did that. And within a short period of time, you know, the blog was active and, and people were engaged with it. And a lot of people moved over to the Facebook page where all I did was just share inspiration or resources and information once or twice a day. But it became clear that women wanted to have this conversation about recovery. They wanted to be able to celebrate it. They wanted to be able to say, yeah, damn it, I'm in recovery and I'm proud, which kind of coincided with the whole movement of the recovery advocacy movement really kind of coming up and being, become, people becoming more public about their recovery. Um, for those of you in North America, I'm not sure how familiar you are with this um, over across the ocean, but there was a film called um, The Anonymous People that came out. Greg Williams, uh, a friend of mine, produced it. it. And it was really about this idea that, you know, people have been recovering for a long time. In the United States alone, there are 23 million people who identify as being in substance use recovery, 6 million in Canada. But nobody knows that about us because... Mm. Because primarily because in 12-step recovery, where a lot of people did get their recovery in the last several decades, year, you know, 100 years, um, you're not supposed to talk about being in recovery. So it's like this underground movement. And so the movement with the anonymous people, other organizations that had been around for a few decades already, Faces and Voices of Recovery, there's this movement towards saying, hey, yeah, I'm in recovery. And this is what it looks like. And you can have this too. And so... I just kind of really stepped into that opportunity to be open and public about my own recovery to see how that would work. And Taryn was also in recovery. Um, she had been in recovery from um, self-injurious behavior, from trauma, from substance use disorders herself. And she had a, a different kind of uh, road with substance use disorders. She wasn't. Um, she had not chosen abstinence as her route up until I think four and a half years ago. So we really just, you know, I was doing the online thing. She was doing her yoga thing. And then in 2012, we thought, well, let's see what we can do together. Wouldn't it be fun if we did a retreat? She recovers yoga and recovery retreat. So we planned that for the end of December 2012, sorry, the end of November 2012. She did the yoga. I did the online registration, the Facebook page, the website. A friend of ours lived down in Mexico. So, she, you know, she helped us um, scout out a venue and we held our first retreat. And it was amazing. And it was the beginning of she, she Recovers as we know it. And we loved being on retreat together. We love, you know, we both love traveling. We both love women in recovery. She loves yoga. I'm not, a, I don't love yoga. Um, but I love any opportunity to lay down on a mat and rest and breathe. Oh, he doesn't. Right? So it works for me. I just, you know, I, I always say like, I don't like jumping around yoga. I don't like to get up. 
So yeah, that was just kind of the beginning of it. And then it, it kind of went from that. Taryn was working full time. I was working full time as a consultant still. And, you know, we, it was just a passion project, but then it started turning into a passion project with four, you know, one retreat a year, then two, then three, then four, then eight. Uh, you know, we started having these in 2017, our first 500 woman conference. So about three years ago, actually when New York happened, she recovers in New York city. We, um, I had to stop working as a consultant because I was um, very quickly turning back into that overworker, you know, getting sick again from that. So I made the decision to give up my paying job and focus on this passion of mine. And the company, we built, we formed a company which um, grew, you know, proportionately with the amount of women who were coming and interested in attending retreats and our online growth. And we just kind of went moving. Everything was kind of going really well for us. Um, 2019 was the first year we were able to draw a salary from the from the project. And then 2020 hit and uh, everything changed. But mm. where we're at today is we've pivoted from a business to a nonprofit. We did receive our charitable status from the IRS in the United States. We're also applying for a charitable status in Canada. Um, Taryn and I have gone back to not being paid for our work. We're full-time volunteers and board members. So we're still helping direct the, the organization, but really trying to, as much as possible, hand it over to a volunteer network of, of people who are just as passionate about the project as we are. Um, but it's time for it to become about the community and not about Don and Taryn. Mm. Okay, so let's let pick up on that because I think this is a really fascinating area and one that I am thinking about a lot in terms of my stuff like I don't talk about my personal experiences publicly at all really um I think I'm I'm aware of that and I'm increasingly part of this podcast as well is for me to start exploring how I do actually tell my story but if I'm honest I have so much fear around that because I don't even know if it's a case of stigma necessarily but I think that there can be a pressure sometimes in trying to balance the role between being a facilitator a participant someone who's in recovery someone who's supporting other people's recovery and it all it can feel quite difficult for me at least to create boundaries around that and I think the way that you and Taryn are doing this is is pretty incredible I mean I'm interested whether you're conscious of how you maintain boundaries in your you know when you're talking about your own lives in meetings or whether there are things that you hold back or how you kind of maintain that does that make sense what I'm saying yeah it definitely makes sense I I And so one of our intentions and guiding principles reads, when we're ready, we recover out loud so that women who are struggling can find and join our movement. Mm -hmm. And I always like to explain that that does not mean that that everyone's going to start an international movement or a grassroots movement or a global movement and talk about everything and all the things. Taryn and I are pretty open. There isn't much that I don't bring to the table. Um, But it's been a period of so many years that, you know, I mean, I guess I don't, you know, I don't talk about personal things between my husband and I and I try you know we have, I have an older daughter Ashley and I, I you know I kind of I respect other people's boundaries so that I don't bring them into mm-hmm. my story if it's just about me I'm I'm an open book but when we're ready is really I mean that's a really important part of that um, the other important part is we recover out loud again it might mean what I, the way I like to explain it is one day you might be sitting on an airplane god let us get back on airplanes one day <laughs> and somebody beside you might talk about um 
just all of it. You know, those people sometimes in airplanes and they start telling you their life story and they might I think talk I might be one of them. <laughs> right. Well, perfect. love that. Right. I am too. And someone might say something like, well, actually my mom, my mom struggles with mental health, with mental health depression. So a person who might be in recovery from depression or have a mother with depression might turn to that person and say, oh, I hear you. I understand. Me too. I have that experience. And, and then share their experience. That's recovering out loud. I mean, it's one person on another person. That is still recovering out loud. That is still going to make a difference. If everybody in recovery who has a recovery story that has some, you know, hopeful piece to it shared with one other person in the world that they have something hopeful to say about recovery, we'd make a huge impact. Do you know so what, that, 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 that might be, important. that could be one of the sticking points, I think, for many people is the hopeful part, because I think irrespective of what you're in recovery from, generally speaking, we can understand that recovery is not a linear path. So I feel that for a lot of people, there might be some hesitance in you know, recovering out loud in case there are any lapses or anything goes wrong, it feeling like a longer way to or a further way to fall kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's quite a, an interesting um, arena, really. Yeah, and I guess I would say, I, I, I'd love to speak to that because I agree. So when I say hopeful, I, I don't I don't necessarily mean that your story is going to be, and look at me now, I'm great, everything's good. It's, you know, the hope is like that I'm, I'm here and I'm able to talk about it. I'm here and I'm able to, like, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm here and I'm able to express it. I, I actually totally agree with you that one of the things in my book that I'm writing now, I've been teasing out the idea of recovery and what it is about and how even in mental health, mental health recovery or substance use recovery. It used to just be that abstinence was was success in substance use recovery. Now, you know, I think we're, we're not everybody, but more people are getting on board with the idea that um, just improved, improved life situations is still recovery, you know, you and relapse isn't what defines whether you're in recovery or out of recovery. But I always, because we're all the things, I always put this lens of, and what about mental illness? And what about mostly what about mental health issues and what about depression and anxiety and those types of things. So even though we've moved away from the idea of abstinence as a definition for recovery and in behavioral health, which includes substance use discovery, uh, recovery and mental health issues, we're still very much focused on the idea of recovery as a process that lands you in this pinker place. You know, it's a process that brings you to this elevated sense of wellness and I argue, or, you know, was arguing in, in the book that I'm writing and the proposal that I've just submitted about two weeks ago, okay. is that that's unfair and that's a lot of pressure on a person who might be in recovery from depression. They, they don't, it's not linear. It's not like now I'm here and I need to get up here and then I'm better and then I'm in recovery from depression. Recovery from depression, it's a pra- re- recovery is a practice. And so the practice is being able to live with being down here. Having to be mm. recognized, acknowledged, and supported where we are, and not necessarily be, um, not even be encouraged necessarily, or not have the emphasis on being an encouragement to get better, but really just to be where we're at. So again, you know, I just go back to the idea of stages of change and meeting people where they're at, and also one of our other, um, we focus on our strengths. You know, we are very strengths based. So. Again, our strengths might a strength might be, for instance, somebody with an eating eating disorder. You know, strengths might be 
I, you know, I've only purged, I only purge on Thursdays. I don't know. Like I, that's not my, that's not my thing. Right. But it just, it could just be people recognizing that I don't beat myself up when I purge now. I accept that it's something that's going to happen until it doesn't. And, and I just go with it. So that's where I think, you know, I, I take your point in terms of if we're recovering out loud, it's it's recovering just that we're in acceptance that we have this thing and it's okay. We don't have to hide it. We can tell one other person. But I think that's a really nice way of putting it as well. And just to pick up on one of the words that you used uh, in terms of elevate and this idea of elevation is, again, something that I think about often And I wonder what your thoughts are on this, especially because you're talking about how she, and I completely agree that she recovers is big on strength and on community and connection. And as I said before, it doesn't, what's the word that I mean? It's not dependent on any particular place in your recovery journey. You can be down, you can be up, you can be in the middle. It doesn't matter. Like it's still that consistent community. Um, But one of the things I've been wondering about is whether there's this expectation or pressure that in order to voice an opinion about something in society whatever it is really it's almost that you have to disclose and I think one of the things I've personally felt is on social media that can create quite a lot of pressure in terms of you know you have to put everything out there or you have to disclose you know I've experienced x y and z and, and that's why I'm allowed to talk on these things whereas actually it kind of I think it might be putting a lot of people off from even engaging in the conversation in the first place because it it feels very much like you can only speak if you can claim a particular title but yet this in the same breath we're trying to move away from certain diagnoses or certain languages or whatever so it feels to me that there's some work to be done around that and that might be one of the areas that 12-step programs or anonymous groups are more inviting because it's less about there's less expectation that you have to disclose anything in particular but I am interested in what your your thoughts are on that in terms of thinking through how do we create political and social change by using our experience and sharing our experiences but without necessarily creating pressure to disclose I think it's it's through collaboration right it's through through Mm. uh, mobilizing collaborative a collaborative network of voices. I mean, I do, I have, I, I, I agree. There's this, there's this kind of sense that in recovery, regardless of what it's from, mental health issues, substance use disorders, eating disorders, codependency, who, who, who gets to say, who gets to be the expert, the person with mm-hmm. lived experience or the person who's spent eight years studying. Right. And I, uh, like, I honestly think that it depends, you know, if we're, if it depends on what we're trying to get at, if we're looking for somebody to share their story for the purpose of having other people connect with them and explore recovery, then a person with lived recoveries, you know, that voice is probably going to be more effective than somebody, you know, a therapist who's going to, who's going to um, talk about trauma and, and, and it's, and, and how it leads to mental health and substance use disorders. So, I think it's, um, sorry if I'm, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but for me, I don't, I I don't, I don't think that we ever give the mic only to people with lived experience of disorders or issues. I think we have to also have the people who, who have, who understand and can help and have directed. For instance, for many of us, 
we can we can talk for hours and days about our experience in recovery and our childhood and all of those types of things but it it takes a level of self-awareness usually brought on by somebody leading us to that self-awareness to understand truly that most of what ails most of us comes out of trauma and mm. so you know a person in, i can tell you that if in in recovery growing up in recovery when i did in the late 80s and into the 90s we just started to kind of untap the idea that our childhood had something to do with why we were the way we were and that was with the you know the work of john bradshaw and his work on the inner child and that was kind of the beginning of it we used to joke that you know my inner child's going to whoop your inner child's ass and then you know at a certain time i remember even in our community everybody was so tired of everybody's inner child it was like i don't want to hang out with that inner child anymore like i'm just done with you people let's be adults here um but it was very it was that moment where wow you know we are this way because of our inner children and and what i loved about that period of time was i'd been to treatment where in treatment you were introduced to kind of family systems and how things are so I needed all of that information in the same way that, you know, leading into most primarily really in this 21st century, we're having that same, those same awarenesses about um, adverse child experiences and trauma and how, how that has affected us. And so our story is our story and we have every right to tell it, but um, I, I like the idea of um, professionals who can dig into our stories and help us better describe what they're about so is that- mm, I hear you on that I definitely hear you on that and and maybe what I was thinking as you were talking is that at some point in someone's personal recovery or if we were to look at it on a more academic or a more um, access-based approach the person delivering the therapy could also be the person with lived experience and I feel that that's something that needs to be explored a lot more um, you know my love is psychoanalysis and yet I often find, do I do I feel that my analyst knows what they're talking about from a lived experience or is it just something they've read in a book? And that can actually be very detrimental. And it, again, this is an interesting area to explore the issue of disclosure because you can kind of tell, right? You know a professional who's got experience. You, you know, it's like a radar, like you can tell instantly. Um, so maybe, I mean, I, I totally hear you. And I think there are certain values in that kind of, um, I mean, I'm saying academic or the therapeutic community, whatever, people providing the the services, we have to find ways of allowing them to to kind of seep into each other and and in a in a legitimate, genuine, authentic way, rather than it just being through perhaps tokenistic programs or, you know, some peer support roles that are not necessarily building people up, but just using it as a way to say, oh, no, we are, you know, we do know what we're talking about because we've got one person talking about their experience. I think that's a uh, a really pressing area to me personally. But I just want to also pick up on, you've mentioned a few times, and I think it's um, another amazing aspect of She Recovers is the work being trauma-informed. So I'm aware that not everybody will necessarily know what that means. So can you tell us a bit more about what it means to be sure. trauma-informed? Yeah. I just wanted to, to clear up what we were just talking about, though. I, do, I just do want to say that it's, I, I think in terms of making social change and bringing voices out and getting the story out and getting the help out, there are people with lived experiences, there are professionals, there are people who are both. That's mm. why we have, you know, we have so many women in our community who are, who are both. So that's why we started Absolutely. as she recovers healthcare professionals. 
Um, and then we also have people who are just the people who are giving voice to these people. So all the wonderful people who are doing podcasts and giving voice to these topics. I think that's how change happens. Change happens when people become aware of things. So there's all sorts of different totally. roles being played. With but regard also to trauma, the, the She Recovers coaches as well, like a lot of them are very vocal about their own experiences. So they're actually the kind of perfect example of what we're saying because yeah. they are holding space and they are facilitating and not but and they acknowledge their own battles and it does make a difference that this space is so much more um full I think anyway sorry go on no that's okay so I mean you know trauma is is what happens to us right and in as children and I guess my education on trauma really has come from my daughter Taryn and, and what she's learned and how she's trained in it um and so we look at how things that happen to us in, in utero, really, you know, way back do affect us. Um, and that we have to just, we just have to have a recognition around that. And, and that, um, as one of Taryn's teachers and, and a friend of ours, Nikki Myers, who's the founder of 12 step uh, yoga for recovery says our issues live in our tissues so that we, you know, it is about, it is about for us, for she recovers. Um, we, we actually believe that we have to take care of our body, mind, emotions, and spirit so that there's an embodiment aspect of recovery. That's part of our holistic approach. And through, whether that's through dance or, or breath work or yoga or walking, like a lot of, you know, we do a lot of hiking and walking and swimming when we're on retreat, etc. It's about just kind of working through some of those issues that are in our tissues. So we recognize that. So it's, it's the recognition and just our constant, um, you know, reading, attending conferences, you know, doing all the things we need to, that we can then bring to the platform so that we understand trauma as best we can for ourselves. And in our spaces, it's things like we, we, we really try to, we've, so our coaches, and we have to do another round of this, Taryn does a trauma-informed, um, holding trauma-informed space so that they just understand. And, you know, there's just, some of the things are just, um, we're still all practicing some of the things that we're learning, but it's things like acknowledge when somebody shares and it's a really deep, heavy share, you know, it would be traumatic for a facilitator to say, okay, thank you next. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's that acknowledgement, you know, what, what we, what I find, what I do and what others seem to do is like when somebody's really shared something is, you know, we all kind of, we invite everybody to take a, a, a deep breath and just, you know, take a deep breath with that person, you know, mm -hmm. just kind of bring them back into their body a little bit. We have at the beginning of our gatherings, we say that we understand this is a trauma informed space. We, I think I could repeat it practically verbatim. We understand that some shares may be triggering for people. If that's the case, we invite you to take care of yourself. If that leaves, if that means leaving the meeting, please do that. Reach out in our Facebook group or to a member of your professional support staff or support team if, you know, if you're really triggered, um, and then of course the, the admonition that, you know, we're just, we're, a, we're a support program. We're not medically adept at, you know, if you're in crisis, you, you need to go where people in crisis go, right. You, we're not, we're not that. Um, so it really is just about trying to be, um, yeah, trauma informed using different language. You know, we, we invite, we ask people not to use, crass horror like you know, we're allowed to swear and we don't want to censor right there's a fine line between censorship mm. and but you know we don't want people talking about um 
yeah, I mean, just use your lens, use your lens, right? Mm. I, I think it's, um, I almost feel like I need to, like not scream, but some version of scream for people that have never been to a She Recovers meeting. I mean, honestly, it is so incredibly healing and when you're talking about you know the the non-censorship absolutely that is what I think is so empowering about she recovers there is no censorship and you know people do talk about things that are heavy because our lives are heavy but there is no disregarding of people's stories and unlike some programs which do talk about quote-unquote cross-talk and not you know, responding to people's stories, which has its place, and sure, for some people that works. At the same time, in She Recovered, you are heard so fully. And I think that's something that's really beautiful. I, I really can't express that enough. I think it, it's, I have never come across a space so validating in my life, I think. And I also wanted to touch in on uh, kind of the concept of space of trauma informed and also the fact that some of the meetings now or the meetings now are online and you know historically when we're talking about women online that can also lead to a lot of hostility we have issues with that I mean we've had with zoom for example like some um sober communities talking about um not just sober communities but any online zoom meetings being screen hijacked and there being issues of abusive or sexual harassment messages whatever how does she recover the approach that and keep women safe oh my gosh you know, when we started again, like it was the first, I think we started our Zoom, regular Zoom meetings on a Thursday and, and the sat, so two nights later, the Saturday night, we got Zoom bombed oh by, uh, it was like a couple of, we think a couple of teenage boys who started mm. talking about what they wanted to do to us. It was all, and yeah, it was, and it was horrifying. And um, so Jan, who's now one of our co-host coordinator and myself, we started kind of talking quite loud because we didn't even know like what's going on, where is this coming from? And so we, it was, it was traumatic for a lot of people, especially for those of us who are facilitating. So then we, we just kind of went, okay, then. And in my mind, I had heard about this, like it was literally just the beginning of Zoom happening, like people going on Mm -hmm. for Zooms, all these things. And in my mind, I thought, well, who's, who's, who on earth would ever do that to a women's recovery community or you know, it's just not going to happen. Didn't think of it when it happened. I'm glad that it happened early for us. I mean, it's still happening to some people now. And I think like, where have you been? Get out from under the rock. You, there's no reason why it should work. But we have a Zoom link that we don't share publicly. You know, you have to be a member of our group. And there's a gate even to grow, joining our Facebook group. You have to answer four questions. Uh, we look at your profile, uh, you know, just to see that you are a woman. And, you know, for us, that's cisgender trans or... Um, non-binary individual who identifies with women's communities and so we've got that and then we've just like our co-hosts and hosts are trained like we don't let anybody you can't share the screen like if you're a participant in our group you can't share the screen Um, we we watch throughout to see if there's somebody on there who's like their name comes up and it you know sometimes it says because we don't even want men there so if somebody comes on and it's ronald whatever and they don't have their video on then we'll 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 um message them in the chat and say, are you Ronald or are you using Ronald's Zoom account? Because this is, this is a women's space. And usually it's, oh, this is my, you know, some of my brothers or my son's Mm -hmm. Zoom account. And then, but we'll watch because if Ronald wants to share and it's still called Ronald, we actually ask them to change their name and tell them how to do it. So 
Um, but if something, if we're not too sure about somebody and they've got their hand raised, so you have to raise your hand and be invited to share. And if we're not too sure about someone who maybe isn't sharing their video, we just watch. And if for some reason somebody comes on um, and is inappropriate, like we'll know that in the first three seconds and we mm. boot them. And it's never happened. So literally we've had no, no experiences since that knock on wood since March when that first Saturday night. Um, yeah, people can't, they can't even unmute themselves. So if you're sharing, the coast unmutes you so that you share and then she remutes you. So, and for us, I mean, what these guys did was they just got in, they unmuted themselves and just started going at us. Mm, charming. Just what you want on a Saturday night in a women's My group. God. I mean I would also say just to anyone listening who might be worried about that I've never seen it and she recovers um and I think also the way that in fact I think the first meeting I went to um when I I think it was you don't you were doing the guiding principles and you also said you know if if you are a man in this group we would invite you to to leave now but it was so well done I think I sent you an email afterwards and I was like I've never seen anyone handle that so well because women's groups are important I would like to know why you think they're important but I'm also interested in how you have developed the style which I hope you're aware of of how well you handle that because it can it can cause friction and it can cause people to be quite defensive but she recovered just does it brilliantly mm-hmm. I think we're always you know we're in my in my policy analyst role right I was always Kind of, you look at the policy cycle, right? You identify a problem, you do some research, you come up with some solutions, you implement them. It's kind of like the stages of change, you know, and, and then it's just continuous quality improvement. So in my experience in the last 33 years in recovery now, uh, it's all been about creating community with other women in recovery. For the first 20 years, it was, that was in 12-step recovery. Last 10 or 13, not so much although I still have nothing but respect for 12-step communities. I still consider myself a member of one. I just don't get to meetings, 12-step meetings generally, because I've got a lot going on when she recovers. Um, so having a women's, a women's community is, I think we just, what Taryn and I say is this has always been a co-creation. So we don't kind of have any real set ideas about what this is or what it's supposed to be. We kind of follow the lead of, what women say they want. So as issues arise, for instance, we're on version seven of our preamble to the meetings. So every time something comes up, we change things. And so the the most recent iteration is version seven. And now we invite our co-hosts and our hosts when they introduce themselves to introduce themselves with their pronouns, which is something that we hadn't done previously. Um, We, with our intentions and guiding principles, in the aftermath of the George Floyd murder in, in the United States and, you know, the reckoning and all, all the work that we've had to do um, as individuals and as communities to ensure that our communities are safer. We actually rewrote one of our intentions and guiding principles. Well, we didn't, we made up a new one and it's called, we do our individual work in order to create and hold healing sort spaces for everyone. All women deserve recovery And behind that intention is a program, right? Where we're, you know, we started a book club and in August we're reading three books related to race and inviting our community members to talk about them. One of our, two of our She Recovers coaches are doing some training and working on um, a summit for black women's voices that we're going to be launching at the end of September for recovery month. One of those coaches is creating an anti-racism training for recovery spaces. We started 
the um, She Recovers support for Black and Indigenous women of color. So I guess what I would say is just in terms of creating and holding space, you just have, we just have to be open to like, what, is, what does that space need to be? And, you know, we take a lot of what we learned from holding in-person space online. Taryn's yoga, like trauma-informed yoga is very different than normal yoga, right? Just the idea that you, you know, you, you, it's the language. It's very invitational language instead of do this pose. Mm-hmm. And you don't even say pose anymore because pose is a trauma trigger for people um, who may have been forced to pose in their younger lives, right? So it's just kind of taking what she learns there and incorporating it and then, you know, taking cues from what's going on in the world. And also, you know, I'm a researcher and everything I look at is about recovery from mental health and and other disorders. So just really a continuous quality improvement, Um, mostly listening to women in our community, define what it is that they want the space to be for them. Mm. It definitely feels like that. It feels like people are listened to not just as participants, but as also community members. And like you said, that co-creation value is is certainly evident, I think, in She Recovers. Um, I think you made quite a nice little segue there when you start talking about research. So I want you to tell me as much as you're willing to about your forthcoming book that you're writing at the moment, which I'm super excited about. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. You know, I this book has been... I had a book deal in... in- 2015 with Hazel and Betty Ford with another friend of mine. We were going to write a book about stories of women in recovery, substance use recovery specifically. And I was also just a few years out of my workaholic craze. So, uh, and my daughter was about to give birth to my granddaughter. And so I got the book deal. I was about to sign the book deal and the timelines were really tight and it was going to cover the first six months of my new granddaughter's life. And it also wasn't the book that I really wanted to write. I mean, it was, it was, I, I wanted to write about all the things, not just substance use recovery. So I made the, like a really strange decision for a potential author and I didn't sign the contract. I said, that's not my book. It's not my time. I'm not doing it. And then I went away and I decided I'm going to start writing my book. So I've been writing this, I've been planning this book for five years. And all I really ever had was an out, like the concept and an outline all that I had up until I don't remember when it was 12 weeks ago and somebody who had been um yeah somebody reached out to me and said they they're doing some books around recovery and they'd like to invite me to contribute something she knew about my previous book she knew that I've been writing for years as a professional and they said I had four weeks to give them an outline and three sample chapters and I said no way I can't four do that as it turned out that's what they said. I said, no way, because actually my daughter was about to give birth to the second grandchild. (laughs) So I can't do it in four weeks. I'm going to have a brand new grandson. And then I actually got off that call and I went, I can't say no again. I can't keep saying no. So I phoned back and I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I might be up all night, every night, but I'll do it in four weeks. You'll have three shitty sample chapters and a kick-ass outline. And two weeks into those four weeks, I got a call that timelines had moved and I actually now had a, a total of 10 weeks. So in that 10 weeks, um, you know, we, we had so much to do with the foundation. We had our new website going up, you know, like everything that we've been doing, the anti-racism strategy. So I really only did have three to four hours a day to work. And often it was late at night, but I got it done. And I'm quite, I was quite happy. They were not shitty sample chapters. They're not finely tuned sample chapters, but what it did was just really got me excited about the message that I want out in the world about recovery, which is, you know, it's just the stuff that I always talk about, right? 
We're all recovering from something. We get to do it exactly the way we want to, individualize pathways and patchworks. That we meet ourselves where we are. We focus on our strengths. You know, we, we need support from other people. Um, if we want to stop early in the game, we can. We believe in early intervention. All of the things. You know, radical self-love is really an important part of recovery. Um, but overall, my, my premise is, is that recovery is a practice. Just like meditation might be a practice. Yoga might be a practice. You might have a running practice. You might have an art practice. Recovery is a practice and you can pull in all different threads and pieces to create whatever it is that is uniquely yours. You get to define the pathways. You get to define the pieces of the patchwork. You get to define the outcomes. And nobody else tells you that, you know, if you're in substance use recovery, your outcome has to be abstinence. That's just not truth. You get to define what you want for your outcomes. Mm -hmm. So that's, and then the book is, you know, really three chapters of kind of setting that firmly in having a discussion about what all of that means. And then seven chapters of leading people through how to develop a patchwork and practice of recovery. Well, I think recovery, the practice is a beautiful way of putting it. Uh, non-judgmental, it's intersectional, it's multifaceted, and it's just bang on point. I love it. I can't wait to see what happens to this book. I will be first in line to buy, buy, buy. And speaking of buy, 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 I said that three times. And I also noticed that you mentioned three chapters. And I am now obsessed with the number three. So it is time for what's the three, the variation of the question that I am asking everybody, mostly because I want some reassurance about the strange things that are in my mind, Dawn. My question to you is, what three things do you want to change most in the world? Oh, gosh. Uh, just a simple question, right? I know. <laughs> no, no complicated sure. existential things. I mean, you know, I was sat and I've probably thought about this for about six hours. I was like, this is the, the hardest question I could ever ask. Yeah, it, it is end. hard. So I'm just gonna, you know, like what I'm just gonna say what what comes to mind for me, mm. and and I've only got two. So the third one is gonna come out as I'm speaking. I'll Perfect. figure out what the third one is. But um, you know, I just I want I want children, I want children everywhere to be safe, secure, loved, protected, and and how I view that is I want women. So the second thing is I want women who have mental health, substance use, other behavioral health issues, intimate partner, I want them to get the support that they need so that they can protect love and take care of their children, you know, and, and it's because both moms and kids deserve that. Right. So I, that's, you know, that's really what I want. Um, so yeah, so kids, to have what they need, like, you know, trauma-free child childhood is a little, maybe going a little bit far. Everyone's going to have some trauma, but, um, you know, I want kids to have the best chance at a healthy, happy childhood as they can. So I guess um, that and the moms. And then, so then I just want systems. I want social systems to step up and, and do the things that we need to do to ensure that, um, you know, there's racial justice, there's economic justice, there's housing justice, like that, all those things. So, Kind of, yeah, I think, you know, we just, we just need support. Kids need, kids need to be supported by their parents, especially their moms. I'm just more moms than dads. It's, I love dads too. Dads are important, but I focus on moms. Um, so we have kids and if they're supported, then moms are supported so that they can be there better, more strongly for their kids. And then if there's the systems behind the moms, 
If we need mental health treatment, let it be free. If we need substance use treatment, eating disorder treatment, trauma treatment, all of those things, let it be available in tree so those moms can take care of themselves, so they can take care of their kids. So, And I know that it's different in every country on the continent, you know, to what degree that we have any success with kind of the bigger structural um, safety nets. But that's those would be my three. Bloody hell, Dawn. I mean, that was pretty flawlessly executed one of mine with less rain in the uk so now i feel like a very rapid <laughs> idiot <laughs> what were your other two okay to bring it on a, an actual serious point one of the things i was thinking about um was the ability to have conversations and that might sound quite simple but in my experience and my personal political professional life i feel that the world feels and this is a little bit cliche but I think it is true the world feels very polarized right and it seems like people that come from different perspectives or different experiences or different viewpoints whatever it is are really struggling to have those conversations I would have to say that I'm seeing that happening and she recovers in such an incredible way so that that's the first one less rain in the UK I should put that as the top priority obviously and the third one would be to relinquish guilt and shame because I think guilt and shame creates a lot of self-hatred. It stops people from saying what they actually think. And I think, it, you know, it's not only is it very disempowering, but it can also manifest in that defensiveness and silence, which doesn't tend to be productive and doesn't lead to the conversations that I feel that we need to be having. And again, I think She Recovers is a, a force to be reckoned with in providing that space for, for women to relinquish that shame and guilt and I'm I'm very very grateful for how she recovers has enabled me in many ways to start at least to relinquish mine on that note Dawn where can people find more about you about she recovers where can we direct them uh, www.sherecovers.org is our new 501c3 foundation. We are accepting donate or sorry, website and we are accepting donations. And on there, um, there's a page called um, Together Online or she, Re- she Recovers Online Programs, which will take you to a page called Together Online. And you can find information about our online gatherings there. Information about our retreats and other things are also up there. But at the moment... Um, everything that we're doing is virtual. There are some, we have, we do have sharing circles and communities in cities across North America and beyond, as you know. Um, And those are mostly on hold for now. Although some of those local groups are um, holding virtual Zoom gatherings just for their kind of local groups. So like there's a group in Atlanta that meets, there's a group in Cape Curl, Florida. Um, I think in Chicago, they're actually meeting in the park, socially distanced once a month just to have a visit. And um, we're just kind of monitoring where things are at. And we do, in Victoria, where I live, um, we go for hikes twice a week on Wednesday evenings and Sunday mornings. So, um, yeah, if, but anybody who gets into the Facebook group in particular has an opportunity to find out about everything that we're doing. And for people who aren't on Facebook, um, there are email addresses where you can reach out and get information about what's going on. Fabulous. Just to, I'm not really. But kid would kill Um, me. We also have a podcast. So podcast on, on your podcast thing. It's a wonderful podcast. And Taryn's actually out on the road right now interviewing some amazing Indigenous women here in British Columbia for our September um, relaunch of the um, new season of podcasts. Where do we find the podcast? It's on every, it's on Stitch. It's on all of the podcast forums. You'll find it 
I don't understand podcasts. That's kind of her thing. I mean, yoga and podcasts are her thing. <laughs> so it's wherever you find podcasts, she recovers. Or else, it's also on our website. So if you go to our website, there's links to all the places that you can find it. Fab. Thank you very much. And just to kind of finish on a note that I feel personally compelled to say I am somebody who is generally quite hesitant in going to support groups myself I'm also someone that's quite suspicious of different things like yoga or dance or whatever and I would just really extend my encouragement to women who do want to find an alternative support network or to find a group of women who are diverse and accepting and in all their varieties she recovers is certainly the one that I would say has been the most phenomenal I've ever come across so check it out and you can also find me on Instagram um because that escalated quickly um, from She Recovers to Instagram. My tag is at Vandercanton, that's W-A-N-D-A, and my website is vandercanton.co.uk. Thanks for listening to Three in a Crowd with Vanda and Dawn. Thank you so much for being here, Dawn. I could talk to you for hours, but it, it's really been a pleasure. Don't forget to leave a rating and a comment on iTunes or wherever you're listening, as this will help other people to find us. We will see you next time.